Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite guilty pleasure. The Chad and Cheese Podcast, as always. I am your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined the Beavis to my butthead, Mr. Chad Sowash. And today we are giddy because we have a unicorn on the show, everybody. Let's welcome Jonathan Siddharth, CEO and founder of Turing.com. Jonathan, welcome to the Chad and Cheese podcast. Uh, thank you, Joel. Thank you, Chad, for having me. Excited to be here. You sound excited. He he does. Yeah. For our listeners that don't know you, Jonathan, let's let's get a Twitter bio on you as a person. What makes Jonathan tick? I love building companies and I love artificial intelligence and and machine learning and I love building products that have machine learning at their core and I um sort of cut my teeth in um using machine learning to build search engines and autonomous cars. And um, it's been great to start companies that have ML at their core. That's one part of me. The other part of me is um, I love I love cars. I love Formula One. I'm also a huge productivity nerd. So I literally have an <laughs> app on my phone that uh, lets me track whether I am continuously getting better every day. Like I have a few sort of things that I work on to continuously improve. And one of my goals is to wake up every day a little bit better than I was the day before. And I kind of try to try to work on myself like that. So in a nutshell, it's entrepreneurship, cars, and continuous improvement. <laughs> just like <laughs> just like a Gen Z. I mean, you talk about things that are definitely something that's not sustainable, trying to get better every single day. Jonathan, you're allowed to have a bad day, okay? I don't know if you know this or not, <laughs> but since the pandemic, we've all been able to embrace remote work and being able to have bad days. So this is, this is Chad and Cheese letting you know, you don't 
continuously have to be there. I love his answer. It's much better than Wordle walks on the beach and Marvel <laughs> comics. Like it's I lo- the cars thing was awesome. I like that. No, I love the. Let's dig into that real quick. So, how did you get into actual autonomous vehicles? Say that 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 is incredibly exciting, especially when we start seeing them rolling around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was in, um, I mean, my love affair with autonomous cars probably started when I was in middle school or when I when I saw Knight Rider. I mean, is that a did, did you guys see that? <laughs> oh God, yeah. yeah. Oh hell yeah. Hasselhoff. Are you kidding me? That's David Hasselhoff. <laughs> we watched that in prime time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I saw like reruns of that. It was pretty. I mean, it's obviously an old show even back then, but. It combined two of my passions, like machine learning, like building sentient systems and cars. And when I was in college, like in my sophomore year, I started reading up about AI and machine learning and specifically neural networks. And I published a few papers on teaching a neural network to learn how to drive a car. And um, that was my foray into self-driving cars. And it it was fun teaching the car how to overtake. And I remember like my first sort of uh, simulation where I, I would give the learning algorithm these inputs where you put some obstacles on the road and see how it behaves. Mm-hmm. And it was such a rush to see the car automatically learn how to brake, automatically learn how to overtake. Um, it, it got me excited about machine learning. And that's when I decided I wanted to go to grad school at, at Stanford because Stanford was pretty far along on the self-driving car research area under um, uh, under a few professors. And when I came to Stanford, like uh, I switched my interests and I went from cars to search engines. Again, no no real connection. And, and, and that was that. Sounds a lot like our time at school, Chad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, that my time during Stanford. So how did, in the hell did you find your way to HR, town acquisition, into this space? How did you find your way here? Because autonomous vehicles is a huge leap from where you are today at Turing.com. So the story of Turing.com actually began when I was running my first startup, uh, which was a a machine learning-based search and recommendation engine. And the year was 2012. And I remember the year distinctly because for the first time since starting the company out of school, I thought the company was actually going to fail. And the, the reason was we were growing really fast on the web. We had about 40 million users. And we were looking to raise our Series A and every single investor I met on Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley turned us down, every single one. Everyone was looking for mobile app traction, and we didn't have a mobile app. So I had to hire iOS engineers really quickly. And I remember looking at the time to hire these iOS engineers, and I was trying to recruit engineers from Google, Facebook, Apple, et cetera. And predictably, everybody turned turned me down at the time. And it was costly and hard to hire. My co-founder, Vijay, and I decided at the time that if we didn't do something different, the company was going to die. It, it, it was controversial at the time. But at the time, the decision that we made was we have to look beyond Silicon Valley for great engineers. If we restrict our, our hiring radius to Silicon Valley, we were going we to die. Right? And I was fortunate to find and work with some incredible engineers in from Ukraine, Poland, Serbia, et cetera. They joined the team. We launched V1 of our iPhone app, which uh, won awards from Apple. It was rated by Apple as one of the best apps for content recommendations. Apple invited us to Cupertino to meet with their team because they loved the app. And that was the hook, that a critical milestone that we needed 
to raise the Series A. The series, uh, we, we were able to raise the Series A successfully. And the company eventually had a successful acquisition. After selling the company, I took some time off to recharge in 2017. As I was reflecting on uh, like what was the learning, biggest learning from my first startup, it was the decision to, to go remote, to think beyond, beyond Silicon Valley. And when I was looking to start my next company, I decided every company is going to need this. Every company is going to want to push a button and hire the best people from all over the world, regardless of where they are based. Uh, and that was the, that, that's kind of how I found my way to, uh, way to Turing. And I teamed up with my co-founder from my first startup, and it's been, it's been guns blazing growth uh, since then. Always curious about the the genesis of the name. Obviously, I assume Alan Turing was the uh, the inspiration. Is there a connection there, or just an affection, or just it was a cute name that was available? There is a connection. You're right. Alan Turing is widely regarded as the father of computer science, the father of artificial intelligence. Many people know about the Turing test, where you can't distinguish a machine from a human uh, from from a, when you're just interacting across an interface. Yep. And with Turing, we use a lot of um, uh, machine learning under the hood to automatically find developers, evaluate developers, and match them to the right opportunities. And for our customers, it's like magic. That is, they push a button and they can spin up their engineering dream team from all over the world. And it's a combination of machine learning and human ingenuity working together where the lines are kind of blurred. Uh, so it felt like an homage a little bit to the Turing test. So that was reason number one. Reason number two was. The Turing Award in computer science is the most prestigious award. I mean, it's it's the Oscars of uh, engineering, if you will. And we wanted a brand that was synonymous with excellence in engineering. We wanted Turing's a place where the world's best engineers come to build their careers. So, so, so that was another another reason that worked. And the third most important reason, it was a domain name we could afford. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. And number three should probably be number one. Now, now for my real questions, to say that there are a lot of solutions for hiring developers is a bit of an understatement, to say the least. How do you guys differentiate? How do you cut through the clutter of all the other solutions out there? Yeah, uh, great question. We now live in a remote-first world. Every tech company today is in a race to reap the benefits of remote engineering talent, right? Airbnb went remote. Yesterday, Yelp went remote. Twitter, Square, et cetera, all went remote first. Even traditional companies like Siemens, Ford, et cetera, have gone remote first. And the reasons are obvious. You get to tap into a planetary pool of developers. Uh, you get to tap into previously untapped geographies like Latin America, Africa, Central Europe, Eastern Europe, parts of Asia. In many, many times, it's, it's much, much more cost effective to if you cast a wider net to other parts of the US, other parts of the world, and not just, let's say, Silicon Valley or New York. But remote is hard, and it's hard for three big reasons. First, it's very hard to build a large enough global pipeline to find truly great people. Uh, if you're Johnson & Johnson, one of our customers, um, and if you wanted 50 Golang developers from LATAM, from Brazil, say, then you'd have to build a pipeline of 500 or 5,000 developers to find that 50, and that can be hard for many companies. And second, it can be hard to evaluate the global engineering talent pool. Um, like, for example, if you looked at an engineer from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, you won't see Stanford, Berkeley in their educational background. You're not going to see Google, Facebook, Apple in their work experience. She could be a great engineer. There's just no signal in the resume. So how do you evaluate all of these people from diverse backgrounds without sucking up all of your engineering team's interviewing bandwidth? So that's hard. 
And third, if you had to ask any engineering manager, what's the hardest thing about working with the remote team? The, I, I guarantee this 80% of the time, they'll say it's communication. Communication is hard because time zones are hard. Often the right kind of daily communication, weekly communication, performance management doesn't happen. Often the manager doesn't know if this person's really working, are they working on the right things? Uh, th- there is not as much visibility into the work being done. If you're open AI, again, one of our customers, you might care about security and security, again, uh, can be tough with a global distributed team. So building a global pipeline is hard. Evaluating them is hard. Security is hard. And your question, there are all these other places to hire, like what's the, how are we different? The difference is if you look at like a recruiting company or a typical staffing company, they don't have global reach and they don't really do any vetting of engineers. And most uh, marketplaces, and there are plenty of marketplaces today, they, they have more of a gig focus. So they attract people who want to do short-term projects. So Upwork. Yes. Okay. And you, and you don't find people who want to do long-term uh, engagements. And many marketplaces don't really do vetting for engineers. So to find that one engineer, you might have to interview 30 people or 40 people. And if you look at IT services companies like Accenture, TCS, Wipro, Infosys, etc., They don't have Silicon Valley caliber talent and they don't have global reach. So we asked ourselves a simple question. Can we solve all of this with software? Like what if we had software that could source engineers from the planet-wide pool, software that could evaluate engineers for a Silicon Valley bar, software that could use machine learning to match the right developers to the right jobs, and software that could manage the collaboration after the match? Software, 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 software. This is why we built Turing. These three-part answers are killing me, uh, Jonathan. So what are you? What the hell are you in the first place? I mean, what I'm seeing is almost like this evolution of a job board and staffing company. You did mention staffing and that they don't have the breadth and and reach, uh, mainly because they really don't leverage technology like Turing is. So what, what exactly is your platform? Is it the evolution of staffing or is it the evolution of a job board? It's not staffing. It's not a job board. It's not a marketplace. Turing's a new animal and we call this category talent cloud. Uh, it's a distributed team of developers in the cloud that's sourced by software, vetted by software, matched by software and managed by software. We actually don't fit into a box, and which which drives a lot of investors crazy because they try to figure us out. Like, are you a job board? Are you a staffing company? And we are neither. We are a talent cloud for software engineers. We predict there'll be talent clouds for many different verticals, maybe a talent cloud for lawyers or a talent cloud for podcasters. <laughs> Good luck on that one. No one needs that. So quick question. How do companies pay? Do they pay on the placement? Do they pay on the posting of the job? How does a company actually engage and then pay for these wonderful, you know, Turing engineers? They pay by the month for developers they are working with. So the business model is a staffing business model. Okay. So there is a fixed price, for example, if you're typically a a customer might work with, they might come to us and say, hey, Turing, can you give me five full stack developers, front end React, back end Node, and at a tech lead level, they work with the developer for a certain monthly rate. And, and that's how that works. To me, again, as I dig into this, I know everybody wants to be their own animal. But Jonathan, I'm going to break it to you here, buddy. <laughs> you are the evolutionary step, which is good. Dude, staffing has been around forever. The beauty about what you guys are doing, it's an evolutionary step. It actually is a hell of a lot easier. It happens faster right? And you can do something that actually has more of a broad reach. So as these investors start asking you these things, take a look at some of the EBITDA 
that some of these huge staffing organizations have. And then eh, it's, it's actually not a bad, uh, not a bad model, especially when you superpower it with, uh, with technology. Now, next question, you guys got uh, 153 million in funding, right? That was the, the total. What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> 1.1 billion valuation. So what are you guys doing with that cash? Are you looking to just get a better deeper penetration into uh, the U.S. to try to get more jobs from U.S. companies? Or are you guys actually looking to expand? And if you are, what countries? Yeah, good question. And most recently, we'd, we'd opened up a safe at a $4 billion valuation cap, which is oversubscribed, uh, which is where the company is today. <laughs> Sorry, I had to, I had to correct that. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's why we have you on. The founder in me, like the has to, has to do that. <laughs> Always be selling. What are we using the capital for? I would say the primary use of capital is to build an amazing product that can find the world's best developers at scale. There's a lot of software that goes into Turing to automatically vet these developers, automatically match them, automatically manage them through technology. And we are building a self-serve system where we want a, a person to be able to hire engineers and build their team without necessarily even speaking with somebody at Turing, right? Like almost like AWS, like you spin up servers in the cloud with AWS, you should be able to spin up your engineering team in the cloud. So a lot of the money is spent on product R&D. And other than that, it's to invest in building the world's best place for an engineer to work at. Like we care deeply about great engineers, great engineering. We, we, we do a lot of work on L&D, other programs to make sure like engineers feel like Turing's a place where they can grow their career. And we are expanding aggressively. Like we're expanding, like we want to support developers from all over the US as well. Like a developer from uh, Kansas should have access to the same opportunity as a developer from Palo Alto. Will they get paid the same? Uh, they, they won't get paid exactly the same as somebody in, in Palo Alto. It would be based on their their experience level, their their tech stack. Um, and we, we do geo-adjust geo uh, a little bit. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, though, seriously, text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel uh -huh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener. 
Get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit TextKernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> okay, so if they have the same exact, let's say, uh, credentials as the individual in Silicon Valley, do they get paid the same? We do geo-adjust uh, chat. Honestly, the way it works is we we have a conversation with the developer. We ask them, hey, what will it take for you to work on Turing? And they would quote us a price, right? They would quote us a rate. Hey, here's how much I need to get paid for me to leave my current job and, and join Turing. And typically what they what they come up with is something that's 20 to 30% more money than they're currently making. And they get 100% of the money that they that they negotiate with us when they do that. And we charge customers on top of that to cover our costs. You know, it's, ne- it's not perfect. Like, for example, I'll give you a specific example. If you are working on um, computer vision algorithms to build machine learning systems on using TensorFlow and you're at an engineering manager level, so much more senior than an IC, you'll get paid a lot more than let's say a front-end developer who's uh, who's a Vue.js uh, developer operating at an IC level. So there are variables that go into it too. Totally get it. The, the, the question is around pay equity. The developer community is a bro community and it is way off with regard to actual pay equity. I'm sure you guys know that. So when you start talking about negotiating their own rates, that automatically sends uh, alarm bells off in my brain saying that more than likely women in the Turing platform are getting paid less than men for doing the exact same job. We, uh, to be honest, like we haven't, we, we don't have data uh, on that right now that would that would support support that that hypothesis. For, the way we think about it is, we have to make sure that Turing is a step up for that developer that we reach compared to the current current opportunities that we have, and we're going to do our best to give them that step up. If we are not able to give them that step up, they won't join us. They'll, they'll stay at their current jobs and do what they're doing. We have to earn their trust to, to come to Turing. And we earn that trust by making sure that they make more money than they're making right now. Their career options are brighter than it is right now. And we invest a ton of time in, in resources. Like, for example, we had a Women in Tech Week a month back. We had a Pride Week a month back. Our whole company is based on the thesis that talent is universal, opportunity is not. And we want to remove all the obstacles that stand in the way from getting people access to the opportunity that their talent deserves. The first obstacle is geography. People who won the geo lottery and are here in Silicon Valley, here in, here in New York, there are plenty of other obstacles and we want to level the playing field for people. Okay, so around that, wouldn't it gain more trust from the community? And this is what we've heard from uh, developers all over the world, why they use certain platforms is because of transparency and trust, right? So the trust piece, I, I, I totally feel you, but I feel like they will actually trust you more if there was transparency in the system. So therefore, we could ensure that we actually have equity across the board. How would you, uh, and and this this is super interesting, and I'm asking to learn further, if you were building a system like that, like how would you ensure that, uh, that transparency? How would you design it? Aggregate data around actual job titles. Job titles that have the same uh, requirements. And then you would be able to give the community an idea of what that pay rate would be 
for that specific type of job and if you met those requirements, right? We're talking about aggregate data. I'm not trying to find out exactly what Joel's getting paid, but from a transparency standpoint, as we're seeing, I mean, the government is is even starting to tell either whether it's state or we're looking at prospectively federal, federally that salaries need to be on jobs, right? So if you can be more transparent and provide that aggregate data, landscape data, don't you think that would provide more of a, a push for trust? That's super interesting. And how would you slice that data? Like what columns would you have? Like you would have title and salary. Would you have geography as well? Personally, I think if you're doing the same job as somebody in Silicon Valley, the exact same job, there's no reason why you shouldn't be paid the exact same rate. That's my personal opinion. But when we take a look at first and foremost, gender, then we also take a look at, yes, regions so that these individuals would understand if they're in Kansas, they're probably going to get screwed. But but being able to take a look at gender, ethnicity, uh, not to mention also, you know, all over the world, the, the, the actual where the developers are at, where they're getting paid, uh, those types of things. That's super interesting. Like definitely something for us to think about. Like we, we probably have access to, to some of that data for sure. And do you see any other, like, are there any companies that you, I mean, you, I'm sure you track the space. I'm curious, have you seen any comp- any other company do this? Well, what we're starting to see is we're starting to see a couple of things with regard to uh, regulation, uh, whether it's starting at the state level first, right? And, and then we have companies who are actually leading and talking about equity, which we talked about, and then also transparency. So we're starting to see companies doing this and then driving uh, uh, other organizations like, um, I think it's uh, Symbio. Is that is that the one, Joel, where they have, it's actually a pay equity platform? I don't recall Symbio. I believe so. Anyway, yeah, there are plenty within the landscape. This is an issue. Everybody understands it's an issue, especially in the developer community. So to be able to have such a powerful platform like Turing to be able to help in transparency and equity, uh, I think would be would be one hell of a step forward. Yeah, that's a great idea, Chad. Like I'll, I'll definitely look into that. And like one thing that I love about Turing is if you look at I mean, you you spoke a little bit about, you hinted at this a little bit in terms of potential bias in some of these systems. If you look at interviewing today, right, like interviewing, it's a highly biased, sexist, ageist, in many cases, broken system. It's inconsistent, non-scientific, and subject to all sorts of uh, noise, right? Some people have, some, some teams have great interviewers. Some people have not so good interviewers. Highly variable, and it's sort of a flip of the coin in many cases. So, I mean, how many great people do we know who flub interviews, right? Like the there's, there's just so much, so many issues with that. One of our goals with Turing is to take that sort of manual, subjective, bias-ridden process and try to have it be something much more objective, data-driven, consistent, but through an automated vetting process. And for the longest time, like we actually, we were... We were not even tracking gender, like in the early early days, where when like one of our customers actually asked us, "Hey, Turing, like, can you like, I would really love to hire female developers. Like, can you give me female developers?" And we were stuck at the time because we actually couldn't search our database by gender. We weren't even asking for that. We were we were just asking people for, "Hey, if you are a React developer, do this coding challenge. Here are some questions, and our system gives you a score like based on all the data that we see." So we are. I, I, w- I would say there is a long way to go to build a more 
um, equitable, fair system. And I think as an industry, we can do a lot better. And we are still early on, and even Turing can do a lot better. Like the, but we want to take some baby steps towards the future and just make this a little bit more standardized, consistent, and data driven. All right, all right. We may not get to the future if we don't uh, pivot to something else here. Um, you, you, you talk a lot about how developers want careers. You've said it in this interview, and, and your website touts it. They want careers and not gigs. Do you have any data to back that up, or is it mostly anecdotal? Uh, we have a ton of data to back that up. Like we do these town halls where we ask people what they want in a in a platform like Turing. If you look at it like a hierarchy of needs, at the base of the pyramid, what people want is more money and greater financial stability. They don't want to be hunting for gigs constantly. A, de- a developer does not want to do marketing. And unfortunately, on many marketplaces, that's kind of what they have to do. They have to keep keep around. They would like some support there. Developers historically also don't love interviewing. So often many developers are stuck in jobs that they don't particularly like because they just don't want to go through the hassle of preparing for a couple of months, interviewing the 10 places and joining. So they loved a, a, a system where you get vetted once and then there is a team that's working with you to help you get matched continuously so you don't have to worry about worry about that. And one level above is they care about working on interesting products with the la- with the latest tech stacks. If you're a machine learning engineer, you want to be working on TensorFlow, PyTorch. You want to be solving computer vision problems, uh, speech recognition problems, deep use, building deep learning systems, things like that. So they care about the interestingness of the work. That's one level up the pyramid. One more level up the pyramid is they want to work with great people. And we are so fortunate in Silicon Valley, New York, places like that. We, we, we are surrounded by great tech companies working with great people. But if, if you were born in, in you know, a, a small town 100 miles from Buenos Aires, Argentina, there might be two tech companies where you are. And they love that with, with platforms like Turing, they get to work with companies like uh, Johnson & Johnson, Rivian, Coinbase, OpenAI, like all of these, Pepsi, these well-known companies. So they love that they're working with great people who, again, help help accelerate their career. And one more level up the pyramid is engineers love getting better at their craft. They want to keep getting better, keep improving, and they like that uh, that at platforms like Turing, we give them access to resources to help improve their soft skills, help improve their communication skills, uh, help improve their interviewing skills, help improve how they talk about themselves in an interview, build a resume. Um, we, we do mentorship like on how you can become from an IC, how can you become a tech lead, how can you become a tech lead manager? And these are all things that engineers at Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon used to have access to. We are just democratizing it and giving it to everyone in the world. Gotcha. So you mentioned uh, Coinbase and on a weekly, daily basis, we hear about tech companies uh, like Coinbase, as well as Netflix, Carvana, and a ton of others that are laying off developers. Um, How has that impacted your business? So the short answer is, so far, we haven't seen a huge impact yet. However, we anticipate that there will be an impact over the next six months, 12 months, maybe more. I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. I think, I mean, from what I hear is, you know, you see companies everywhere basically focusing their energy on fewer products, fewer projects that are more needle moving for the business. Companies are probably pausing nice to have initiatives. And I think during times like this, like, Platforms like Turing will be even more important to 
help amazing developers find jobs, help people who are displaced find jobs and get back to work. Yeah, so the short answer is we haven't seen an impact yet, uh, although we do. Uh, th- there are some smaller companies that I, that I uh, smaller, some smaller customers we have that have slowed down their hiring. Uh, but we haven't seen a big impact yet, but we expect to see some impact over the next six months. Well, Jonathan, I have to say that seeing what Turing's doing is literally the future of staffing and technology as we know it, finally. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate you coming to, to answer the hard questions. Now, if somebody wants to find out more about Turing, where would you send them? Uh, please go to Turing.com. Um, and if you're looking to hire front-end, back-end, mobile, AI, data science, DevOps, developers, push a button, get, bring engineers to your team. That would be Turing.com. And you can follow Turing on Twitter at at Turing.com. You can follow me on Twitter at at John Sid, B-O-N-S-I-D-D. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Chad, for having me. Both of you are clearly very, very knowledgeable about the industry. And you know, given, given your experience with job boards like Monster and others back in the day, uh, no surprises. And thank you for having me here. And it was great speaking with you. Both. Has a CEO ever said, please go to Turing.com? <laughs> like, thank you. Oh, man, I can't take it anymore. Jonathan, Chad, another one in the can. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The Chad. The Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know, and yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses, and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chadcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.